Good morning. Welcome again to our online service. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this is the first time you're joining us, uh, we are in the middle of an all-in series. This is actually message two of a four-part series entitled All In. We encourage you, if you haven't caught the first message, that you either go to our YouTube channel at uh, South Suburban Christian Church uh, or on uh, SoundCloud, which you can access from our uh, website to listen to the podcast or wherever it is that you download your podcast. Uh, but thank you for being with us. Look forward to being with you as we get into God's Word today. The text today comes from the prophet Jeremiah, which is back in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 17, chapter 17, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 5. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to read along with, with me at Jeremiah 17 and verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the one who trusts in mortals and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from God. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to everyone according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. Kent Humphreys was president of the Fellowship of Companies for Christ International from 2002 to 2007. Now, if you're not familiar with the Fellowship of Companies for Christ, um, it is an international organization whose vision <clears throat> is to transform the world for Christ, through Christ, one company leader at a time. Its mission is in pursuit of Christ's eternal objectives, we equip and encourage Christian business leaders to operate their businesses and conduct their personal lives in accordance with biblical principles. Now, as any organization should have, it has some core values. And I want to share just a few of those core values with you. Number one, these are business people who have their own companies. God is the owner. <laughs> we are stewards of his companies. Prayer is the lifeblood of our relationship with the owner. We are called to work, ministry, living a fully integrated, balanced life as a biblical mandate. Integrity is a non-negotiable essential. Commitment to excellence is a hallmark of a Christian in business. Now that particular line reminded me of what Martin Luther, that great Protestant Reformation, uh, reformer of the 16th century, would say. The Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. A couple of other core values that they have. Community is a key to walking with Christ. 
being relevant to our time and culture is crucial to our impact. And focus on building the kingdom of God takes priority over building the organization. Back in 2010, Kent Humphreys was invited to speak at the Lausanne Committee for World Evangelization. Uh, they were having a conference which was seeking to equip and, and uh, uh, motivate, mobilize, I'm sorry, the church uh, to begin working together across the nominational lines for the sake of the gospel. When he began his presentation, uh, he did so from this passage in Jeremiah, chapter 17, except he focused in on verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. I just read it to you a few moments ago. He began the basic problem, and this is Kent's quote here, the basic problem behind providing proper resources for the worldwide church is not money, not processes, or organizations, or strategy, but how we think. And he finalizes this statement with this phrase. The basis of that is our hearts. The first point that I want to share with you today about where being all in begins. To live all in, it starts with the heart. Just a second ago, as I was reading Kent's quotes to you, he quoted that famous verse from Jeremiah 17.10. But I also read to you the entire passage that Jeremiah uh, lays out that is a statement from God to the Hebrew people living in Jerusalem. Another famous passage, one that isn't as popular perhaps as verse 10, is verse 9. Let me read that to you again. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? <laughs> the prophet Jeremiah was prophesying to Jerusalem. Now let's kind of set this quickly in some historical context. After the reign of King Solomon, uh, the nation of Israel divided to a northern nation, uh, which retained the name Israel, and a southern nation, which was Judah. In the north, uh, Samaria becomes the capital of the northern nation of Israel, giving rise to the term Samaritans, which were uh, a people that Jews really did not get along with as the centuries would roll on. In the south, Judah retains the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Now, it had been years since this division had happened, and at that point, Israel had been so reprobate, so, so terrible in their treatment of one another uh, and in their remembering God, that God had allowed the Assyrians, a world empire at the time, to rise up and conquer the northern nation of Israel. But he wasn't quite ready to let Judah, the southern nation, fall under condemnation, and so the Assyrians were never able uh, to overwhelm uh, Judah or Jerusalem. More years have gone by, and a new world empire has arisen to the forefront, one of the greatest empires the world had ever seen at that point, the Babylonians. However, at this point, Judah's sin had become so grievous that God allowed the Babylonians not only to sweep over and conquer Assyria, that previous great empire, thereby also conquering Israel, the northern kingdom, but now they had 
inched their way into the nation of Judah, conquered most of the surrounding lands, and the only stronghold left was the city of Jerusalem. And so, defeat is imminent, as Jeremiah writes these words in chapter 17. Now, we could go more into detail about Jeremiah. It's one of my favorite prophetic books in the Old Testament. I love Jeremiah, uh, but let's just say this. The city of Jerusalem is getting up this morning, and they are looking outside of their walls, and all around them is encamped this huge, unstoppable Babylonian military force. And Jeremiah says, judgment has come. There's nothing that you can do about it, except you could, you can, you should repent. But judgment will still be realized. Well, judgment for what? Well, Jeremiah points out throughout the entire letter, or the entire book of Jeremiah, three major sins that the people of Judah were guilty of. The first was idolatry. That is, is that they worshipped other gods. Now, there may be, uh, you know, if I were to go into any of your homes or neighborhoods, I probably wouldn't see uh, pagan idols or statues that uh, have been erected that you offer sacrifices to. But there are idols in our life even today. Things that we place our faith and our trust in that isn't in God. Things that we craft with our own hands, whether it be our systems, our organizations, our political parties, uh, our economy. Things that haven't been given to us by the Creator. Things that we put our trust and our hope in instead of God. That is our idols these days. It is something we have in common with our ancient forebears in Jerusalem. Their second sin was is that they had defiled the temple. How had they defiled the temple? Well, they refused to repent. Other prophets had come to them before Jeremiah, but they continued steadfast in believing that the God of their forefathers had given them some sort of free license that they could do whatever they wanted to do. Uh, they didn't need to worry about the rules and regulations. The God of their forebears had always been gracious and merciful, and certainly this God of their ancient fathers and mothers would continue to be gracious and mercy, merciful. Well, this was so significant that when Jeremiah or any other prophet would stand to point out their sin, instead of hearing this repentance, this call to repentance, as an admonition out of love, they would grow angry at these people who refused to speak encouragement, who refused to speak uh, affirmation of their broken and disconnected lives. How dare you judge us? How dare you speak of a God who calls us to repentance and humility? And many of the priests and religious leaders of Jerusalem, when they heard the words of Jeremiah, called on the government to execute this prophet for speaking such horrible things against the nation. The third and final sin that uh, Jeremiah talks about is, is that the folks of Jerusalem were treating one another unjustly. 
We find out a little bit later in Jeremiah, in chapter 34, that God had told them to free all of their slaves, that slavery had no place in the city of Jerusalem in the nation of Judah. And we also read that when it became the issue of the day, when everybody was paying attention to it and focusing on it, all of the residents of Judah and Jerusalem liberated their slaves to great fanfare. But as soon as no one was watching, as soon as the media had moved on to the next story and the next issue that was claiming the time and attention of the people of Jerusalem, many of those former slave owners took their slaves back again, forcing them back into their servitude. Oh, they basked in the light of their supposed generosity when everyone was watching. But when everybody began looking somewhere else, they went back to their old ways, oppressing their brothers and sisters. Jeremiah struggles with these deep-seated sins, this unwillingness of the nation of Judah to take a long, hard, and deep look at themselves. He tells them in chapter 15, verse 18, that the sickness that is in their heart is incurable. Again, in chapter 30, verse 12, Jeremiah tells them, your heart is incurable. Your wounds are grievous. And in verse 15, here he comes again. Your pain is incurable. Your sins are flagrant. Years ago, I was a pastor of a church and I watched as a man who uh, I had known for years was admitted to the hospital. I went over to the hospital to be with a family and the doctors came out to speak to his wife and his children and he said that he had cancer and that there was nothing that they could do that the cancer would probably claim his life in the next couple of days. I remember overhearing the wife with anger and rage and confusion say to the doctor, you've been his doctor for years, how come you didn't catch this? Why didn't you do something? The physician with a surprised look on his face says, ma'am, I diagnosed his cancer several years ago. Back at that time, I told him that we could treat it. He'd have to give up smoking, and some of the treatments would be pretty progress, uh, aggressive. But, but treating it at that time, there was a great prognosis that he would survive. But he never came back in to see me. He never returned my phone calls. I'll never forget that with anger and through tears, she went back into that hospital room and asked her husband if these things were true and asked him, why, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you get the treatment? And as he laid in the bed, gasping for each breath, he simply said, I didn't want to admit that I had cancer. I didn't want to be seen by you or the girls as weak. She was livid. And yet at the same time, she was filled with profound grief. And I watched him before the day was done. I watched him take his last breath. You know, it's hard to hear that our brokenness, our pain, our sin is of our own creation. It's hard to hear that our hearts are sick and left to our own strength, there is no hope for our healing. That's why the words of another prophet the prophet Ezekiel 
And chapter 36, verse 26, gives us some semblance of hope when Ezekiel says and I will, about God, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. The second point that I want to share with you today is that in order to live all in, God renews our heart. In 1983, Graham Power and his wife started a small construction company in South Africa. He wanted his company to be, to be the most successful and wealthiest construction company in all of South Africa. Graham had grown up poor, and he was determined that he would live a life of wealth and privilege. Well, because of his hard work and that of his wife, in a few short years, his company had grown to over 1,500 employees, and he, had, and he was making almost $60 million a year in government contracts building highways. Now, this was near the end of apartheid in South Africa, and he had benefited greatly from the government that had denied black South Africans basic civil and human rights. You see, it was in his best interest, his best financial interests, for everything to stay the same. He was afraid that if apartheid came to an end, that he would lose everything. And so he began to stash money and buy property and, and protect his assets offshore. During that same time, not connected with Graham, another South African, a white evangelist by the name of Michael Cassidy. Not very many people know Michael Cassidy. He had studied at Fuller Theological Seminary here in the United States, one of the largest evangelical seminaries in the world. And he had returned to South Africa and had built a reputation of being strongly committed to urban evangelism and reaching the leadership of the whole continent of Africa with the gospel. But what was different about Michael Cassidy's approach to ministry is, is that he not only joined people together for the sake of the gospel, that Jesus is Lord and Savior, but he also worked together for social justice, for reconciliation between white and black South Africans. As a matter of fact, years later, after apartheid had come to end, uh, we, we, we discovered that Cassidy had actually played a significant role in some of the backstage negotiations helping the South African government go through its first democratic elections in 1994. At the same time, the government was poised to uh, endure civil war. Well, fast forward a few years to 1998. God brings our wealthy businessman, Graham Power, together with this evangelist, Michael Cassidy. Graham had been invited to a Christian breakfast meeting. Actually, I think it was a men's Christian breakfast meeting, my brotherhood friends out there. And there, Graham would hear the speaker, Michael Cassidy, talk about the good news of Jesus Christ and how that good news claims all of our life. Well, Graham would leave that breakfast troubled that day. And he would struggle and he'd wrestle with God for the next year. Until one night, in February of 1999, he knelt down in his study and not only received Jesus Christ as his Savior, but he surrendered his life to the Lord, to Jesus as Lord of his life. Every aspect of his life. Not only his personal life, but that of his family, that of his company, 
and probably most importantly for him, his entire worth, his wealth. Powers' life changed that day. He was all in beginning that day. Well, how did he go forward? What happened after that? Well, I said the first thing, uh, he, he actually uh, uh, is recorded as saying this. I said the first thing in my business was how we would conduct ourselves ethically from, from now on. He writes, I challenged all of our company directors and told them to stop colluding with competing contractors doing price fixing and tax evasion. The second thing I did was to say to our competitors that we were no longer prepared to discuss these issues that involved in participating in any form of price fixing. And that wasn't a popular thing to do at the time. He goes on, I then challenged our board that we would start our meetings with prayer and that we would pay our fair share of taxes. We would no longer put our personal gardening services through the business or many other smaller things. We had lots of debate, he goes on, and discussions. And then I made one of the toughest decisions of my life. As a majority owner of the company, with stocks totaling about 80% of the company's total worth, I told them that I would step aside if the board were not to agree with this new direction. I told them I was firm in my decision and that there was no turning back. Well, those directors agreed to go along with Powers, even though they were skeptical that anyone could do business with such transparency. But Powers' honesty paid off. Are you ready for this? Since 1999, Powers writes, when I committed my whole life, all of my life to Christ, I had done my best to clean up everything that I was aware of that was sinful. With this done, I still had one thing I realized was still illegal. I had established an overseas bank account during the apartheid years. You see, I feared that the country would collapse like Zimbabwe, so I had bought a holiday home and boat on the Spanish coast some 12 years earlier. You know what he decided to do? He brought back all of the money he had put offshore to South Africa, which required him to pay a 10% fine for these illegal activities. The next day, the headlines of every major paper in South Africa sprawled across the front page, said, Christian businessman rapes country of millions. Can you imagine the embarrassment? Not only for powers, but for every believer in South Africa. But the irony is he would go on to not only pay that 10% fine, but he would tithe 10% on his personal income. He actually capped his own personal wealth and took the excess over and above that and set it aside in a charitable trust to support ministry and social transformation, not only in his country but throughout the world. Additionally, he then began to tithe 10% on all of his company's income as well. And since that time, he has founded an organization called Unashamedly Ethical, a campaign that calls companies to ethical practices throughout the continent of Africa with over 8,400 signatories and 1,700 companies who have already signed on. This is a radical transformation that can only come from a change in heart. A new heart. A heart 
that was not by human design, a gift from God. My third point, in order to live all in, God is asking for you to trust Him, to give your heart to Him. In verse 7 of Jeremiah 17, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. At the beginning of this message, I introduced to you a man named Kent Humphreys. Like Graham Powers, Kent Humphreys was a successful businessman in Oklahoma City. Kent was a committed Christian, and God had taught him the blessing of a humble heart. King David was a great encouragement to Humphreys. You know, we're introduced to King David in 1 Samuel 13, 14. Well, at that point, he's the future King David. The text says that David was a man after God's own heart. (laughs) Wow. You would expect a pretty impressive life story after a declaration that begins that way. But what do we read? Well, we do see a man who is capable of momentary acts of greatness. But what we also see is a man who committed adultery. A man who then sought to cover up that sin by orchestrating the death of the husband of the woman he had sinned with. A man after God's own heart? When Paul was preaching in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, even Paul refers to David as a man after God's own heart. But what's different in Acts that we don't see in 1 Samuel is is that Paul explains why David was a man after God's own heart. It wasn't that David was a holy or a just or a sinless person. It was because David trusted God. This broken man, this man who was capable of horrific sins and sought to orchestrate the death of an innocent man, was also a man who trusted God's grace and God's mercy. As a matter of fact, Paul says, God brought forth the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, just as he promised. In the middle of the night, as Humphreys was meditating on this truth, he perceived the Spirit of God asking him, Kent, do you have a heart for serving God? Kent said he responded with a yes, Lord. And then he sensed God asking him a follow-up question. Do you have a heart for God himself? Kent realized that night that in order to do anything for God, in order to be all in with God's plan, he had to be all in with God. As a faithful Christian, he had always wanted to do great things for God, but his motivation for that was to make God proud of him, or perhaps, truthfully, at least from our perspective, sometimes we want others to see our good works and honor us. But not for Kent, and not for you, and not for me. 
because hopefully that verse sounded familiar to you. Remember last week? In the first message of our All In series, when Jesus tells us that we are salt and light, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Scripture tells us that a heart for God is a heart that is broken, sincere and humble, pure and blameless, one that desires to know God, one of integrity, one that trusts Him and is on the right path, fully committed to Him. Those aren't my words. Those are Kent Humphrey's words. Look, you and I can't do this on our own. But Jesus Christ did do these things. And that only shows us our need for Jesus Christ. You know, as a pastor, sometimes it's expected that we know everything. Where we're going, where you're going, where the church is going. But the truth is, I haven't always known where I was going. I certainly don't know where many of you are going, and I just pray that I know where the church is going. You know, Jesus Christ is the true shepherd of any church, any congregation. Not me, not Pastor Joe. We're just under-shepherds. Our job is just to muck the stalls, and that's okay. But our job is to tell you the truth. All of our hearts, every human heart is sick. It's incurable. And left to our own devices, there is no hope. But God renews our heart, and God asks us to trust Him. When I read that paper written by Kent Humphreys, I was intrigued about who the man was. Well, with Google, you can pretty much find out anything. Kent died January 30th, 2013. So I wrote his wife a note. She doesn't know she's getting it yet because I'm reading it to you first. It's a little long, but indulge me. Dear Mrs. Humphreys and family, I'm a pastor in Littleton, Colorado. I, along with our staff and elders and lay leaders, <laughs> are trying to hold things together during this pandemic. One of the ways we're doing that is by following God as He leads us into the future. I'm preparing and preaching a sermon series entitled All In. In my preparations, I stumbled across, or God led me to, Kent's presentation at the Luzon Resource Mobilization Working Group for Cape Town 2010. His title was Engaging the Heart. It inspired Sermon 2 in our series, It Starts with the Heart. I'm so sorry to hear of your loss, but your husband, our brother in Christ, is still encouraging and mentoring this pastor through his words. Mrs. Humphreys, your husband is living out Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We continue to see his and your good works, your light, and we give God 
glory. In Christ, Pastor Ike. Are you ready? Christ has already made you all in. And now that you're ready, the powers of darkness are going to war with you. But Christ has already defeated those strongholds too. We'll talk more about that next week. But this week, my question for you, will you trust him to renew your heart? Will you say yes to this question? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and do you accept him as your Savior and your Lord? If you've said yes to that question, Will you click on the button that says you've received Christ if you're on our online.church platform? Or if you're watching us or listening to us on another platform, would you send us an email at office at southsuburban.com so that we can celebrate with you and walk with you as you recognize, we recognize together that we are all in because of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Merciful God, renew our hearts. Allow us to see that because of Jesus Christ, we are all in. And may we live today and into the tomorrows to come, not only receiving your Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior, but Lord of all of our life. In His name we pray. Amen.